two old friends were meeting for lunch one day, and one of them was just really down, really in a, in a glum mood. And so his friend asked him, he said, why are you so sad? Why, why are you so glum? And he said, well, I'll tell you why. Three weeks ago, I had a cousin of mine who passed away and left me $40,000. And he said, that's a lot of money. Why, you know, what, what's the big deal about that? And he said, well, two weeks ago, I had a distant relative of mine pass away and she left me $80,000 free and clear. And, and the friend is like, well, that's, you're pretty blessed. And he said, no, 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 you, you don't understand. Last week, I had an aunt pass away and she left me a quarter of a million dollars. And the friend is just confused. He said, I, I don't understand. You've, you've been so blessed. That's so much money. Why are you so disappointed? And the guy said, well, this week I haven't gotten a thing. It's so easy sometimes, isn't it, to get caught up in what we have and forget how blessed we are, to forget how much we really do have and, and, and you know, we, we take for granted the things that we've been given or the things that we have and we forget to be grateful and thankful. I came across something this week that I thought it reminded me of this idea. It says the value of something before you have it really high when you have it, not so much, and then after you lose it, it goes right back up again. Don't you find that to be true? When you have something, it doesn't, doesn't hold as much value as when you wanted it before you got it, and then after you, you lost it. I found that to be very true in my life as well. We, we are in the midst of a series that we started last week called Thanks a lot, in which we're talking about and walking through how we as, as Christians can develop that spirit of gratitude and, and thanksgiving in our lives. So I appreciate Chris's prayer so that it's not just a holiday, it's not just one day out of the year, but it's every day. It marks every area and every season of our lives. And last week we started uh, this series by talking about how do, how do we get in a position to be full of it? And, and it being Thanksgiving, just to clarify. But how do we get in a position to be full of Thanksgiving? And then this week, I want to talk about the battle for it. So last week, we talked about being full of it. This week, I want to talk about the battle for it. Now, just to clarify, I did not say the battle at Thanksgiving, okay? Some of you are thinking, yeah, that's what happens every time that my family and I get together at Thanksgiving. Not talking about the, the gift or the battle for Thanksgiving or at Thanksgiving, but the battle for Thanksgiving. Let me explain what I'm kind of, where I'm headed. Over the past several weeks, we've been in a couple different series. One, we just got out of a couple weeks ago, talking about the armor of God. We were walking through Ephesians chapter 6, and before that, we talked about a series, Can You Relate?, in which we walked through some relationships of marriage and family and parenting and, and the workplace. And one of the verses that we hit on in both of those series was a verse from Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12, where Paul writes this. He says, listen, our battle, our struggle is not against flesh and blood. He says, you may, you may think it's against flesh and blood. It may feel like that sometimes, but your battle, my battle, is not against flesh and blood. Here's what it is against, though. It's against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. He says, there's a spiritual battle going on. There is a, a, an enemy, and the enemy is real, and there are spiritual forces of evil that are at work, and that's who your battle, that's who your struggle is really against. And I would suggest to you that one of the greatest 
weapons that we have in our struggle against those, against those forces is, is the weapon of thanksgiving, the weapon of gratitude. On the flip side, I think one of the most underrated and destructive forces against you and me is ingratitude. Let me explain what I mean. In, in Romans chapter 1, the Apostle Paul is, is working through uh, and talking about just the reality of sin and wickedness and evil. And, and he talks about all these different sins. He gives us just a laundry list of sins and behaviors and mindsets. But oftentimes what gets lost in this, this section of verses is what Paul mentions as kind of being at the root of a lot of these sins. Let, let me show you what I mean. In Romans chapter 1, starting in verse 18, it says, The wrath of God is being revealed. I'm going to skip through a couple of different verses here. But in verse 18, The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Verse 21, For although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him. But their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. Verse 29, they have become filled with every kind of wickedness, evil, greed, and depravity. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, and malice. They are gossips, slanderers, God-haters, insolent, arrogant, boastful. They invent ways of doing evil. Children pay attention to this. They disobey their parents. They have no understanding, no fidelity, no love, no mercy. Now there's a lot of ugly stuff in there. A lot of nasty sins, but it's so easy to skip over what Paul says very early on when he says, although they knew God, they neither glorified him nor did what? Gave thanks to him. And that led to their hearts being darkened by all kinds of evil and sin. In so many ways, ingratitude or the lack of practicing gratitude is a breeding ground for all sorts of destructive and sinful habits and choices and decisions and ways of operating in your life and in my life. It, it is a seedbed. It is a breeding ground. And there's something to be said for having a spirit of gratitude before God that guards our hearts against being darkened and filled with those destructive patterns of living and operating. And as much as a lack of gratitude can work against us, the good news is a, 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 a showing of gratitude, an expressing of gratitude, and a feeling of gratitude can be one of our most powerful weapons at our side. So let me just give you this morning, I'm just going to give you three things in particular that I think Thanksgiving battles against in our lives. And the first one is this. I would just say Thanksgiving battles against worry and anxiety. Thanksgiving battles against worry and anxiety. Research has shown that higher levels of gratitude are associated with lower anxiety, lower depression, lower stress levels, and higher confidence and higher self-esteem. Not to mention connections that researchers have found in regard to better physical health overall, in particular, things such as better sleep, less fatigue, lower level, levels of inflammation, lower levels of chronic pain, fewer headaches, less stomach pain, clearer skin, and overall improved heart health, just to name a few. Research has also shown that the feelings of gratitude directly activate regions associated with the neurotransmitter dopamine. Now, dopamine is, is a, a, a neurotransmitter that basically it feels good to get. That's why it's called, often called the reward neurotransmitter. But dopamine is also very important in initiating action. That, that means that in, in, in increases in dopamine make you more likely to do what you just did. 
Okay, so if you do something, your, 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 your brain produces dopamine, you're more likely to do what you just did. It's your brain's way of saying, oh, do that again. Now, sometimes that can be negative behaviors and, and sometimes that can be positive. Here's what one article said, though. Gratitude can have such a powerful impact on your life because it engages your brain in a virtuous cycle. Your brain only has so much power to focus its attention. It cannot easily focus on both positive and negative stimuli. Listen to that again. It cannot easily focus on both positive and negative stimuli. Okay? It is like a small child, easily distracted. On top of that, your brain loves to fall for the confirmation bias. In other words, your brain looks for things that prove what it already believes to be true. And the dopamine reinforces that as well. And so on one hand, a person who worries too much about negative outcomes will subconsciously rewire their brain to process only negative information. On the other hand, once you start seeing things to be grateful for, your brain starts looking for more things to be grateful for. By consciously practicing gratitude, we can train the brain to attend selectively to positive emotions and thoughts, thus reducing anxiety and feelings of apprehension. It's almost like God knew what he was doing, right? I mean, God knows this from the very beginning. That's why he tells us things like through the Apostle Paul in Philippians chapter 4, verse 8, when he says, Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. I don't need to tell you what you think about is what you think about. In other words, what you think about gets reinforced in your brain so that you continue to think about it over and over again. Does that make sense? Listen, though, to what Paul writes just before that in verses 6 and 7 of Philippians chapter 4. He says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Paul says, When you're anxious, here's what you do. You petition God. You bring your request before God. But you do it with thanksgiving. Why? Because when I focus on giving thanks while I'm in the midst of, of unloading my burdens and presenting my request to him, it requires me to slow down and to think and to be thoughtful and to review what God has done in the past. I told you last week that root word for think and the root word for thank are the same root word. You can't be thankful without being Thoughtful, And one of the most powerful things that you and I can do when we're dealing with worry and anxiety is to slow down and review the faithfulness and the goodness of God in our lives. And listen to what Paul says. He says, in the peace of God, which transcends all understanding. In other words, it doesn't make sense, right? Because you're not supposed to have peace, at least the way the world thinks. You're not supposed to be able to have peace in the midst of worry and anxiety and, and difficult circumstances. But this peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. If your heart and your mind need to be guarded by peace, then that tells you that your heart and your mind are going to come under attack sometimes. And you need to be intentional about guarding it. The way we do it is through thanksgiving. Now, to be clear, Paul says nothing about you and me always getting what we want when we pray for it, right? He's not saying you pray for it, you give your request to God, and you give thanks, and all of a sudden, poof, God's going to give you exactly what you want. You can get the peace that you need even though you may not get what it is that you asked for. 
The peace of God is not tied to you and me always getting what we want. Those are two separate things. But wrapping our requests in thanksgiving allows us to be able to review the faithfulness of God in our lives and put us in a position to be peaceful instead of worry-filled and and anxiety-ridden. Does that make sense? So that's the first thing. Secondly, I think thanksgiving battles against pride. It's another thing that Thanksgiving battles against is pride. Pride is basically thinking that I know better than God what's best for me. That I know better than God what's best for me and for my life and decisions that I need to make. And I can take care of things myself. Now, sometimes that comes out in very overt ways. And sometimes that comes out in very covert ways. Psalm chapter 10, verse 4 says this. In his pride, the wicked man does not seek him. In all his thoughts, there is no room for God. Now, again, we think of a verse like that, and we think of this this idea as being in in very overt and in intentional ways, that somebody is just completely rejecting God and throwing God to the wayside. But it also happens in our lives in very covert and unintentional ways. I, I like how one person defined pride. She said that pride is edging God out. And sometimes we don't throw God out, but more often than not, we do tend to edge God out. And he just, he doesn't have a place. It's so often, it's so easy so often in our, in our pride and our self-reliance to just kind of edge God out. So how does Thanksgiving battle against this? Well, I think by making Thanksgiving a consistent and persistent part of our lives, as we talked about last week, I'm directing my attention off of myself. Does that make sense? So I, I'm, I'm, I'm saying it's not about me. It's, it's about somebody else. I'm thanking someone else. In particular, I'm thanking God, the one who's the source of every good thing in my life. And in doing so, that brings a sense of humility and kind of pushes out pride. So often, the prouder a person is, the more difficult it is for that person to say thank you. You ever notice that? You think about your own life. Think about the proud people in your life. How hard is it for you to say thank you? that might be a good indication that pride is overriding some humility and some thanksgiving and gratitude in your life. Some people have an aversion to saying thank you. So much of one that they'd rather not even receive a gift or receive help to begin with. You know people like that? Like they don't want help. They'll reject your help. They'll try and do it themselves. They'll try to be self-sufficient. They don't want help. They don't want a gift because they don't want to have to say thank you. Why? Because expressing thank you is a humbling thing. And there are some people who live with such a powerful illusion of self-sufficiency that to receive anything from anyone would be almost to shatter that illusion because then I would need you. I would need your help. I would need your gift. That's why some people have a hard time receiving a gift or receiving help because they're so preoccupied with this illusion of self-sufficiency. And saying thank you is an admission that you're receiving a gift and you're receiving help. And in many cases that you either needed the gift, you needed help, or you wanted it in the first place. Does that make sense? And this is true in our relationship with God. Some people have slid into the illusion that they're responsible for every good thing in their life. And sometimes they do that very overtly, and sometimes we just kind of do it very covertly. And we'll do everything we can to support that illusion. There's a fair amount of people who, as the old saying goes in America, were born on third base and think they hit a triple. And sometimes we feel that way too. 
And a lot of people who choose to believe that way. And I don't want you to hear what I'm not saying. I'm not saying that there's, not, there's, you know, there's not something to be said for, for hard work and, and managing what you have and developing the talents that you have and making smart and wise choices. There is something to be said for those things. But the reality is that everything that we have in this life is a product of God's blessing and grace in our lives. Everything. Not some, not most, but every single thing ultimately is a product of the blessing of God in your life. And when I stop to say thanks, we're taking time, you and I are taking time to assess what it is that we have and what it is that we started with to begin with that we had nothing to do with. And you can look at where you are now and maybe you can point out some things that you had a large portion to do with, but what, how did you get there in the first place? So many things that you and I started with, we had no control over, nothing to do with in the first place. You know that word um, gratitude or the idea to give thanks, the word to give thanks is is interesting because it's directly tied to the word for grace. The word give thanks or thanksgiving in the Greek is a combination of two words. One is good and one is grace. And in essence, what thanksgiving is, is it's thanking God for his good grace. It's saying, God, thank you for the graces in my life. When I focus on giving thanks, I'm trying to become aware of all the graces in my life, all the people, all the things, all the blessings that I have that I had nothing to do with. And I may be managing them. I may be developing a skill. I may be working with them, you know, something that's been given to me. But at a base level, you and I have so much in our lives that we had nothing to do with earning that we had nothing to do with the, the things that we have. We had, we had nothing to do with their beginnings in the first place. I mean, there's so much stuff that you have. And I, I'm not saying that, that some of us haven't been blessed in different ways, but there's so much that you have genetically, biologically, physiologically, materially, that you and I had nothing to do with. Absolutely nothing to do with. We may be stewards of it. We may be managing it. We may be working with it today, but we were given it to begin with. And Thanksgiving is all about recognizing how much of what we have and how much we began with that we had nothing to do with. Reminds me of the story of the two scientists who they approached God and they said, we don't need you anymore. We figured out how to create life all by ourselves, we can clone, we, we do not need you anymore. And God said, well, how about we may have a man-making contest? And they said, fine, and we'll even do it the way that you did it in the beginning. And so they reached down to grab some dirt, and God said, whoa, 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 not so fast, get your own dirt. <laughs> so much of what you and I have, we had nothing to do with, with, with creating and, and, and the gift that we have been given. You may develop it, you may manage it, you may work hard, and those are all good things, and all good things that glorify God in the end. And God should, you know, asks of us and, and desires for us to do, but no matter how hard you've worked and no matter how well you've managed, no matter how good of a decisions that you have made, all of us began with something that we did not earn. You've been graced with it. And if, if you and I just sat down to write out all the things in our lives from now to our beginning that we have been blessed with and even before we ever got on the face of this earth that you and I have been blessed with, it would take us a lifetime or more. And, and, and we just need to be reminded of that. I love what Mark Batterson says. He's written a couple of different books, um, but I love what he says. He says, 
you take approximately 23,000 breaths every day. When's the last time you thank God for one of them? For most of us, we take a breath and we don't even think about it. The process of inhaling oxygen and exhaling carbon dioxide is a complicated respiratory task that requires physiological precision. We tend to thank God for the things that take our breath away, and that's fine. But maybe we should thank him for every other breath too. There's so much of what you and I have going for us that we didn't have anything to do with. That we had, we had nothing to do with creating. And, and regularly giving thanks helps keep me rooted in that reality and battles against pride in my life. That I'm not as self-sufficient. I'm not as self-made as the world would have me to believe. And even as I think I am. And I want to believe sometimes. And then third, not only does it battle against worry and anxiety and pride, but I think also it battles against entitlement. You think about it. When someone feels entitled to something, there's very little need for gratitude, right? I don't need to thank someone if I deserved it. In fact, these people are lucky to have me. I mean, look how amazing I am. I'm entitled to this. The bigger a person's sense of entitlement, the less their sense of gratitude. Listen to what God tells the Israelites in Deuteronomy chapter eight before they enter the promised land. This is Deuteronomy chapter eight, starting in verse 10. He says, when you have eaten and are satisfied, praise the Lord your God for the good land he has given you. Now there's no real word in the Hebrew for thanks or thanksgiving, but what you do see over and over again is praise and and worship. That carries with it the idea of giving thanks to God. Be careful that you do not forget the Lord your God, failing to observe his commands, his laws, and his decrees that I am giving you this day. Otherwise, when you eat and are satisfied, when you build fine houses and settle down, when your herds and flocks grow large and your silver and gold increase and all you have is multiplied, then your heart will become proud and you will forget the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery." Verse 17, you may say to yourself, my power and the strength of my hands have produced this wealth for me. But remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the ability to produce wealth. What's God warning them against? He's warning them against the tendency to ingratitude and and to entitlement, right? He's warning them against this assumption of looking at things and, and assuming I did all this. This is all a result of me, either how smart I am or the good decisions I've made or how hard I've worked at things or how well I've done these things. And so what does God do to work against them? Well, one of the things he does, is we talked about this last week, he institutes those feasts, right? And he says, here, I want you to stop and I want you to slow down and I want you to be able to give thanks for what it is that I've done, to be thoughtful so that you can remember the particular blessings that I've given you. He wants to remind them, you are not entitled to this. You're not entitled to this land that I'm giving you. I've already given it to you. I promised it to your ancestor a long, long time ago. This is not something you're entitled to. This is a grace in your life. And no matter how hard you've worked, there is so much you're working with that you had nothing to do to begin with. I think this is one of the biggest struggles in our culture going on right now. Pride and entitlement, they, they go hand in hand in a lot of ways. I, I came across an article that was talking about how just the, the overall sense of entitlement in our culture, and um, not to pick on young people, but it does tend to be exhibiting itself a little bit more, but it, it 
it hits every generation. It's just the reality of things. But they talked about how it's interesting that, that this sense of entitlement may be at the heart of all these uh, lawsuits that we're seeing nowadays. And, and I read another article that was kind of funny, talked about some of these lawsuits. For instance, several years ago, a major league baseball team, the San Francisco Giants, were sued because they gave out gifts at a game on Father's Day. And they weren't sued for the gifts that they gave out. They were sued because they only gave them to men on Father's Day. A psychology professor at a university was sued for sexual harassment because of the presence of mistletoe at a Christmas party. A psychic was awarded $986,000. Luckily, this was overturned by the judge, but she was originally awarded $986,000 because she claimed that a doctor's CAT scan impaired her psychic abilities, which makes you wonder if she was a psychic Shouldn't she have known that to begin with? And, and we laugh at those things, and yet what seems so ridiculous is now becoming commonplace because so many people think that they are owed certain things. And if I don't get certain things that I think I'm entitled to, then I'll just sue you. I'll just sue you. The bigger the sense of entitlement, the smaller the sense of gratitude. However, on the flip side, the exercise of giving thanks, I think, and I think the Bible points to this, puts us in a position to remind ourselves, I'm not entitled to the things that I have. I've been graced with them, but I'm not entitled to them. And when we slow down and we dedicate some time to give thanks to God, it restores us to our right mind. You go back to that passage I read earlier in Romans chapter 118. It says, God, when they, when they did not glorify him or give thanks to him, God gave them over to a depraved mind. You're not in your right mind when you're not giving thanks to God. When you are, when you are in, ungrateful for the things that you have, you're not in your right mind and you're being deceived. The enemy would love for you and for me to think that everything around us is more ours than God's. That it's more because of what we've done than anything that God has given to us and that we're owed everything that we want and everything that we have. That's what the devil wants us to believe. But listen to what James says in chapter 1, verses 16 and 17. He says, don't be deceived. Why does he say don't be deceived? Because you and I have a tendency to be deceived, right? Right? Don't be deceived. The enemy wants to deceive you. Don't be deceived. Why? Don't be deceived because every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of heavenly lights. The de Satan, the enemy, wants you to believe that everything you have is because of what you've done. But that's not the case. Everything you have is a gift from God. It's not, you're not owed it. That's a lie. That's a deception. You're, it's not ours, it's, it, we're not entitled to it. It is God's, it belongs to him, and it's his to give. You are not owed the blessings in your life, however big or small. You're not owed anything that you have or anything that you have been given. You and I aren't owed those things, but we are graced with them. And when we dedicate some time to thank God, it puts us in a position to realize I'm not owed as much as the enemy would lead me to believe that I'm owed. And then that helps me to realize how blessed I am. And that's half the battle. In fact, that's probably more than half the battle. Just realizing how blessed you are puts you in a position to be thankful and to remove that sense of entitlement that I'm not entitled to anything, but everything I have is a gift 
from God. I like what G.K. Chesterton said. He says, when it comes to life, the critical thing is whether you take things for granted or you take them with gratitude. So with that in mind, as we close our time this morning, I just want to give you three suggestions. I'm giving you threes. Something in the psychology world says we learn better in threes, so I don't always do that, but it works out well this morning. So I want to give you three suggestions that maybe we can do when it comes to battling for Thanksgiving in in our lives. And the first one is this. I would just say, write it down. Not write it down. I mean, you can because you're taking notes, but write Thanksgiving down. Be intentional to write it down. This is what I talked about a little bit last week. Take out a, a, a Thanksgiving journal. It's a great time to do it. And just write some things down that you are thankful for. And certainly you can do that this time of year, but I would encourage you to do that every time of the year. Start now and go till next Thanksgiving. And then start next Thanksgiving and go till the next Thanksgiving. And just continue writing things down because when you write things down, it helps you to be intentional about what it is you're thankful for and to be reminded of those things. So write it down. The second thing I would say is stack it up. Let me explain what I mean. There's a story in Joshua chapters 3 and 4 where the Israelites are about to go into the land of Canaan. They're about to cross over the Jordan River. And God has this cool story. God has them. It's very similar to what happens in the Red Sea. A little bit different, but similar. i give you the cliff notes. God says, you know, I want you to have the priests go in first. And then the, what happens is all the waters stop flowing from upstream. And, and God part, he parts the waters just like he did at the Red Sea. And, and the Israelites cross over. And when they get over on the other side, they're in the promised land. God tells Joshua, he says, I want you to grab 12 men and I want you to have them go get one stone apiece. So you got 12 stones, one for every tribe from the riverbed that I've just dried up, that you've just walked across on dry land. I want you to go get 12 stones and I want you to go stack them up. I want you to stack them up so that when the future generations come by and they say, what in the world do these stones mean? You can recount the faithfulness and the goodness of God that you walked across on dry land. That's what I mean by stack it up. In other words, you need to have some visual reminders in your life of the goodness and the faithfulness of God. That can look a whole bunch of different ways. I I was looking at some stuff this week. Um, Some of you know the name Mercer Meyer. He wrote all of the uh, Little Critters books. He's, you know, there's a thing off of him that thankful rocks that you can have. Maybe you plant a tree in your backyard. I know a couple of you have planted trees for, to, to commemorate things that have happened in your life. Maybe you take the things that you've written down that I just talked about and put them up on your wall or on your refrigerator so you're reminded of those things. Maybe you have a verse or a saying. We've got one in our restroom. Uh, in our bathroom at at home that says, even when you can't see God's hand, trust his heart. That's a reminder, a visual cue to remember the goodness and the faithfulness of God. You you need those visual cues. By the way, this is a visual cue to to, to remind our hearts and our minds to be able to look back and say, thank you, God, for what you've done. So stack them up and, and have those visual reminders to give thanks for what God has done so that you can be intentional about it. And then the third thing I would just say is speak it out. You see, Thanksgiving is not about just feeling it. It's about expressing it. Don't be like the little grandson, three, four years old. His grandparents took him to uh, get some pizza and some play some games. And as the evening was ended, the grandmother was putting him in the, in the car seat. And she said, now make sure you tell Papa, thank you for taking you. Silence, not a, th- not a word. She said, did you hear me, honey? Make sure you tell Papa thank you. Nothing. 
grandfather's listening in the front seat, and he said, you know, um, I really enjoy, your grandma and I do, we really enjoy taking and doing things for our grandchildren, especially when they say thank you. Still nothing. Not a peep, not a word. And, and the grandfather finally, he's kind of getting annoyed. He said, did you hear me? And a little voice from the back said, uh-huh. Still no thank you, though. The grandfather finally, he said, but it really makes us sad when our grandkids aren't thankful. Finally, the little boy, young boy said, I am thankful, Papa. I just don't want to say it. Don't be like that. You can feel it all day long, but unless you express it, unless you speak it out loud, we just got through singing a song, count your blessings, right? Count your blessings. Is that where the song ends? What does it say after that? Name them one by one. Say them out loud. Make it a habit to just simply say, thank you, God. Thank you for waking me up this morning. Thank you for my family. Thank you for the house that I have. Thank you for the bed that I have. Thank you for the heat that came on last night because it was a little chilly. Thank you for my car starting up this morning. Thank you that I have a job. Thank you that I have the ability to make money. Thank you even that I've got leaves on the ground because that means I've got trees in my yard, which means I've got a yard, which means I've got property, which means I've got a house or an apartment or wherever you live. Thank you. You fill in the blank. And I'm not just talking about saying thank you when, when, when you say, you know, for a meal today, thank you, God, for this. And that's all good. You know, you say prayers before bedtime. I'm talking about like in the moment. You're seeing these things. You're experiencing them. Say thank you. Say it out loud. Maybe you're walking through the store and you're reminded of God's faithfulness. People may look at you weird. That's okay. They probably look at you weird anyways, but we won't get into that. But say thank you. Be intent. There's something to be said for saying thank you in the middle of what it is that you're thankful for happening. Does that make sense? And I'm not saying we can't go back and be, but like be able to recognize what it is that you have been given. And here's the deal. The more you and I vocally express and give thanks to God, the more our eyes are opened to how blessed we are by marking those moments with those words. I really do think there's something powerful about in the moment recognizing it and then being able to say, thank you, God. I love what Nancy DeMoss Wolgamuth, how she puts it. She says, be thankful. God has commanded it for our good and for his glory. God's command to be thankful is not the threatening demand of a tyrant. Rather, it is the invitation of a lifetime, the opportunity to draw near to him at any moment of the day. I love that. We sang another song earlier. I will enter his gates with thanksgiving in my heart. I will enter his courts with praise. That comes from Psalm chapter 100, almost word for word in a lot of ways. I'm not going to read the NIV version that 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 song comes from, but I do want to read the message translation because I love the way the message translation puts it. And I'll close with these words. It says this, On your feet now, applaud God. Bring a gift of laughter. Sing yourselves into his presence. Know this, God is God. And God, God. He made us. We didn't make him. We are his people, his well-tended sheep. And I love this line. 
Enter with the password. Thank you. Make yourselves at home talking praise. Thank him. Worship him. For God is sheer beauty, all generous in love, loyal always and ever.